And please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel 22, continue our march through this wonderful book. Our text is verses 6 through 23 this morning, so 6 through the rest of the chapter. 1 Samuel 22, starting in verse 6, and please follow along as I read. Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait, as it is this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house. <clears throat> the priests who were at Nob and all them came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as it is this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and captive over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite, Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox and donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. I've entitled this message, There Will Be Antichrists. That phrase, there will be antichrists, is from 1 John chapter 2. Some of you recognize that passage. John telling us that in the last days, which started from the time that Jesus ascended to heaven, until now, in the last days there will be antichrists. We are told, again, through the vision given to John in the book of Revelation, that there will be 
a great antichrist figure who will deceive the world, who will be the enemy not only of Christ, but Christ's people. And John tells us that there will also be a number of them in his line. There will be plenty of antichrists, people who rebel against God and seek to do harm to his people, seek to eliminate God as if that were possible. There will be antichrists in the last day. Doeg the Edomite in this passage is like a pre-antichrist. Christ hasn't come to earth yet. He will later. But Doeg is a man in whose spirit is the Antichrist figure. He wars against God's anointed, David. Later, the Antichrist will one day war against Christ, God's anointed. So Doeg wars against God's anointed, and he wars against God's people. And this is a rather dark passage in Scripture. Again, the providence of God in verse-by-verse exposition leads us to a passage that talks about the slaughtering of 85 priests, a madman, in a week where a madman has literally launched the largest invasion since World War II. This is the passage before us. You see the spirit of Antichrist in Vladimir Putin. You see the way he destroys people, reports already of him bombing hospitals with children in them. Doeg the Edomite kills children and infants. This is nothing new to human history. This has been going on for a long time. But I'm really excited about the fact that at the end of this passage, we see a glimmer of hope. And when you trace the glimmer of hope in this passage to Jesus Christ, the son of David, there is great hope. So today's a good day for this passage, and it's a good day to find hope and protection in Jesus Christ. The focus of this passage is on the enemy, Doeg. There are three paragraphs in this section, and all three end with reference to Doeg the Edomite. He's the focus. The enemy of God here is the focus. And so we're going to lay out the passage this way, two targets of God's enemy. Doeg being the enemy, who are his two targets? And that's how we'll see the passage unfold. But before we, again, dive into verse 6. I want to highlight the fact that this, this idea of having God having enemies is something not new to the Scripture. We know right away from the fall in early on in Genesis that God had an enemy, Satan. He deceived God's people. God's people fell, Adam and Eve. Sin entered the world. Corruption entered the world. And Adam and Eve's son, Cain, killed his brother, and, uh, killed his brother Abel. So right away, sin enters the world and murder happens. I mean, it didn't even take generations. Murder happened right away. You see the rest of the first part of Genesis, and you see chaos, you see murdering, you see rape, you you see all sorts of things throughout the book of Genesis. The message is, see what happens when sin enters the world. People, nations, civilizations, families don't thrive because of it. It's horrible. It's horrendous. You see little traces of God's redemption and faithfulness pointing to Christ all through the book of Genesis, but, but from beginning to end, the Bible highlights enemies of God. We know that the prophets were killed by the people of God, should be the people of God. The prophets were killed by enemies of God. We see 
We see Pharaoh try to exterminate the Jews, try to wipe them out. Doesn't work. We see later on when Jesus is born, we see Herod try to execute toddler Jesus. And so he tries to gather up all the two-year-olds in the land of Bethlehem, Judea, in that area, and killed all those that were two and under. Satan and his instruments have always been at war against God and God's people. Nothing new. See the persecution of Christians. Jesus dies, rises again, ascends to heaven, sends his followers out in the Great Commission, Great Commission and his people have been persecuted for the last 2,000 years. You see it in culture, an elimination of God. They want to eliminate him tear his cords off of their wrists, as it says in Psalm 2. They want to war against God and against his anointed, in the language again of Psalm 2. This is nothing new. And this passage before us, 1 Samuel 22, 6 to 23, shows us again the two targets of God's enemy. Who is the enemy going after? Let's notice first that the enemy goes after God's anointed. God's enemy targets God's anointed. See this in verses 6 through 10. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. So David, remember, is on the run. We saw that last week. He's on the run. 400 men come to gather with him along with his family. He sends his family, brings his family over to Moab. They've got Moabite ancestry, asks Moab to care for his family. Evidently they do. He comes back to Judea and he's got 400 people with him, this, this band of misfits, if you will. And it's told we know where David is. They go back to the fact that David went to Nob earlier on in chapter 21, went and met with Ahimelech the priest, was given a sword, was given bread to eat, and now Saul finds out about that. Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him, Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with a spear in his hand. We're used to seeing Saul sit down. It's not just that he was lazy. I mean, Kings in that day kind of replacing judges. The judges would often sit down, judge cases. Kings would do that in some context. But mostly kings would go out and fight and lead their people into battle, defeat their enemies. You often see David fighting, and you see Saul not leading his people out and fighting. It's just an interesting note in 1 Samuel. Even Saul's military victories, they're all connected to these great generals underneath him that really won the victory, like his son Jonathan, like David, like others. Saul would attach him, as it said earlier, attach himself, as it said earlier in 1 Samuel. He'd attach himself to strong men, and he'd get the credit for their victory. But here Saul's sitting at the tamarisk tree, but he's got that old spear in his hand, the spear that he tried to kill David with, that spear that he tried to kill his own son Jonathan with, so he's ready. All his servants were standing about him, verse 7, and Saul said to his servants who stood about him, hear now, people of Benjamin. So his servants around him, the people that evidently he's been good to are from his own tribe, tribe of Benjamin. David's from a different tribe, tribe of Judah. So Saul's from Benjamin, and all the people around him that he wants loyalty from are from Benjamin. Hear now, people of Benjamin, reminding them of the connection they have with him. Will the son of Jesse, doesn't refer to him by name, that's a slight against David. Will the son of David give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? What's Saul saying there? Can he give you all of these perks? I'm your king. Look what I've given you. Look at how I give you fields and vineyards and I've put you in charge of things. Is he going to do that for you? That's what Saul's asking. 
Is he going to do that for you? And that all of you have conspired against me? Why are you conspiring against me if he can't give that to you? I've been, I've been good to you. I've been, I've been faithful to you. Why are you not faithful to me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Now, Saul's, as politicians often do, they try to gain your loyalty by lying to you. Saul's lying to them. Jonathan did not turn David's heart against Saul as if Jonathan was trying to get David to kill Saul. He didn't do that. He was trying to protect David from Saul. Then answered Doeg the Edomite. Good old Doeg. We heard about him last week. It was that, it was that interesting passage, uh, chapter 7, I believe, in 21. Yeah, 21 7. Uh, we're told of David going to Ahimelech, I, I need food, uh, I need provision, I, I, I'm, I'm on the king's business. And verse 7 of chapter 21 says, Now a certain, man of the servant of Saul, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, it's almost like this little parenthesis. Well, here he is, comes back on the scene. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, so, so Saul's loyal people have just been rebuked by Saul because they haven't been loyal to him like Saul wanted them to be. And then someone speaks up, Doeg the Edomite. He, he's, not, he's not a Benjamite. He's not even an Israelite. He's a foreigner. Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, said this, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob and to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now remember, Ahimelech thought that David was on the king's business, Saul's business. Ahimelech wasn't trying to pit David against Saul. He was just trying to give him provision, care for him. But Doeg is pitting Ahimelech against Saul. Verse 11. Well, we'll continue in a moment. Here's what I want you to see. God's enemy targets God's anointed. Doeg speaks up. He's the one that speaks up, but you picture all the other guys around there being quiet as Saul rebukes them. Doeg speaks up, and he tells exactly what happened. He is the classic tattletale. David was not trying to kill Saul. He's on the run because he's, Saul's trying to kill him. Ahimelech did nothing wrong. He simply ministered to David, and Doeg the Edomite is the one that's trying to help Saul find David. Telling on David, if you will, telling on Ahimelech. This is what God's enemies do. They go after God's anointed. Saul is going after David, who is God's anointed coming king. Saul uses a man, Doeg the Edomite, much like Satan uses Antichrist, to go against God's anointed. This is what happens. David actually writes about this. Psalm 52 is about Doeg the Edomite. Turn there, if you will. Let's, he, let's hear about Doeg from David's point of view. Because we learn a little bit more about him in Psalm 52. <clears throat> Psalm 52. To the choir master, David turned this into a hymn. To the choir master, a masculine of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Here's David speaking to Doeg in song. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? 
The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. So David indicating that Doeg's tongue, his plan, that he's using his mouth to plot destruction. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. So, so David's criticizing the manipulation, the deceit that's coming from the tongue of Doeg the Edomite to Saul. Verse 5, David trusts in his Lord. We saw that last week. But God will break you down forever. That's a good thing for the enemies of God even today to know. God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living the righteous shall see in fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge and trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction? And then David says this. You think David's concerned, scared, afraid? I'll give you a hint. No, he's not. He tells the son of Ahimelech later on in our passage, Don't be afraid. You're with me. Listen to what David says. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I thrive. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. David doesn't, th David doesn't think that he's going to thrive because he's got a stronger military. He thinks he's going to thrive in the house of God because he has the steadfast love of God on his side. I will thank you forever. Then David turns away from talking to Doeg the Edomite and he talks to God. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. David's trusting, David's waiting for final salvation. He's waiting, but he trusts. Back to 1 Samuel 22, God's enemy targets God's anointed. Remember, brothers and sisters, we worship the most hated man in all of human history, Jesus Christ. He is hated. His ways are hated. His, his commands are hated. They're hated today all over the place. People want his commands gone. They want him gone. Even when they give him fake loyalty and allegiance, they're, they're kind of making him a caricature. They're, they're turning the real Jesus into like a different version that they can handle. They don't want the real Jesus. They want a, a cartoon version of Jesus that they like, but they war against the actual Jesus. Jesus has been hated from the time he came to this earth. You see that in Herod. You see that in the fact that he was crucified, executed by the Jews and the Romans. You see people, now that he's ascended to heaven, they can't get to him, so they go after his followers. This is, this is our God. This is our King. We worship the most hated man in human history. Satan is, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the little g God of this world, and he puts into his people's hearts a hatred for truth and righteousness and true beauty found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is hated. God is hated. His people are hated, and this is nothing new. God's enemy targets God's anointed. But there's another group that God's enemy targets. It's that God's enemy, point number two, targets God's people. They don't just go after God. They go after His people. Verses 11 to 23 show us this. 
Doeg isn't just seeking to do harm to David, he will then, by the command of Saul, go and do harm to God's people. Here in these verses, it's the priests at Nob. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, and the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. Nob was a place, like I told you last week, where there were lots of priests, lots of people representing the nation, the people to God, lots of priests giving guidance to the people of God, offering sacrifices <coughs> on behalf of the people of God. And so Saul goes and summons Ahimelech, the chief priest of that time, summons him and his family, and the other priests all come with him. So this is not just one guy coming, standing in front of Saul. Verse 12, and Saul said, here now, or sorry, and Saul said, here now, son of Ahitub, and he answered, here I am, my Lord. You see the, you see the humility of, of Ahimelech. You see him responding to his master, King Saul. Verse 13, and Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me? Remember, David has not risen against Saul. These are Saul's words. So Ahimelech isn't conspiring against Saul. Ahimelech didn't even know that, that David was Saul's enemy, according to Saul. He thought David was on an errand for Saul. He was trying to help David, which would therefore then help Saul. So Saul's wrong. Ahimelech's innocent in the matter. But sometimes innocent people die. Then Ahimelech answered the king, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David, King Saul? I mean, why do you think David's conspiring against you? He, he's the most innocent of all your servants. Who is the king's son-in-law? He's your son-in-law, captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house. He gives, them, he gives them four reasons not to kill David. He's faithful to you. He's your son-in-law, for goodness sake. He's captain over your bodyguard. He's protected you and honored in your house. Your servants love him. And, and Ahimelech is right. Is today the first time that I've inquired of God for him? No, I've, I, I've, I've asked the Lord to guide him previously. I, I've been a helper to David. It's not the first time. Let not the king impute anything to his servant. So, so don't, don't blame me for doing something wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father. For your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. I don't know of all that you're talking about. I'm just trying to help this guy. And the king said, you shall surely die. Have you ever thought or seen the news or read something and you think, what is that guy doing? Like, what is Vladimir Putin doing? What in the world? What's he thinking? The Bible teaches that depraved people have a corrupted mind. It doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense. You can't reasonably describe what he's doing and go, oh, I see why he's doing this. No, no. He's a demon-possessed lunatic. Here, Saul laid out for him this argument, you should not be going after David. Did that change his mind? No, his response, you shall surely die. Madman, depraved mind. We know for Samuel told us earlier that the Spirit of God left him. 
You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. And they knew that he had fled and did not disclose it to me, but the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Here's faithfulness here. You've seen faithfulness in Ahimelech standing up for David. Now you see Saul's servants. Saul turns to them and says, kill him. Kill his family. Not going to do it. They would have done this to the risk of their own lives. They're not going to obey the king. They won't do it. There's a certain bravery about that, right? Certain faithfulness to truth, to righteousness. They won't do it. We know because chapter 18 told us. Actually, let me, let me read it for you just to hear the words of it. Chapter 18, verse 5. <clears throat> David's defeat at Goliath. David is, is friends with Jonathan, and David's family is in love with, I'm sorry, John, uh, Saul's family's in love with David. Everyone, the, women are singing about David. And here in chapter 18, verse 5, it says this, and David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. He's a military victor now. So that Saul set him over the men of war, and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Saul's servants had a new affinity for David, a new affection for him, a new concern for him, appreciation of him. So now when Saul says, kill the priest that helped David, they say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. 85 priests wearing the linen ephod, wearing the ephod with the Urim and Thummim. We talked about that before, the decision-making way that God had given his people. They're the priests that have stood before God, inquired of him as to what to do. Should we go and fight this battle? Should we go and do this? God would always guide through that. They were the priests that represented the people to God, God to the people. And Doeg, the foreigner, kills not just the Israelite priests, he kills those, not just Israelite people, but he kills Israelite priests, people who stood in, pre, in the presence of God for the people. The, the, the depth of the depravity of Saul is staggering here. Do you remember when God sent Saul to kill Agag and destroy everything from the, the wicked, uh, the wicked uh, people, the foreigners? God sent Saul to destroy everything. And Saul, did Saul destroy everything? No, he didn't. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't destroy everything that God said to destroy. Here, he uses a foreigner to destroy everybody at Nob. This is the depth of depravity. He should be representing the people before God, clearing out all the enemies, being faithful to his people, but he does the opposite. He brings in one of the foreigners, God's people, and he has him destroy the people that Saul should be protecting. This is satanic. Saul calls Doeg to turn and strike down the priests. He does so. That day he killed 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. He killed more than 85 people. He killed 85 priests and then went after the animals and the children and the infants and the women. The contrast between 
Saul and David is one of the themes of this section. Go back up to verse 16. The king said, so Saul said to Ahimelech, you shall surely die. Now go down to verse 23 and listen to how David talks. Stay with me, do not be afraid. He who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. The contrast between Saul and David. You will surely die, Saul wrongly says to a priest of God who's simply been faithful. And David says, with me you will live. If you're not a Christian here, that is the difference between Jesus Christ and whatever the world promises you, Satan. Satan kills and destroys. Jesus Christ promises safekeeping and eternal life. You see the contrast between Satan and Christ here in the contrast between Saul and David. If you are not a Christian, I would point you to the coming son of David who is going to be talked about later on in the Scriptures, later on in the Bible. David here and the protection he offers is pointing you forward to one who can perfectly protect and perfectly give eternal life. His name is Jesus Christ. He saves people from their own sin. He saves people and rescues them, brings them home to eternal life. Please, please stop looking anywhere else for security and trust in Jesus Christ. Read the Bible. Read it with someone. Read the Gospel of John. Read, read any Gospel. Read the story about Christ and see that you can find security in Him. We're given a glimpse of that here in this passage. Back to Saul and Doeg. Doeg's killed all the people at Nob. Saul wouldn't do it. Verse 20, but one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. This is, this is not uncommon here. This is not uncommon in the Bible. People are persecuted, they suffer, but God rescues one for his purposes. This happens often. Prophets were slaughtered in the Old Testament number of different times. Kings tells us that there, was, there were 7,000 people who would not bow the knee to Baal, would not go the way of, of, of worshiping false idols, but there was a remnant, 7,000 who would not bow the knee. There's a remnant. Here, there's a remnant. There's someone who escapes. God rescues him, preserves him. He is the son of, Abi, uh, of Ahimelech. The son of the high priest is rescued. He escapes, goes and finds David. Verse 21, Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. I knew it. David, David, David's ears perked up when he read 1 Samuel 21, 7, 2. We read it and we thought, who is this guy? Why is that there? David knew, I know that guy. He's one of Saul's guys, I, and he had this sense. He knew what happened. And then David says these words. Remember, remember I told you last week that David was being deceitful in 1 Samuel 21, but then when you read uh, Psalm 34, you realize David came to his senses and said, I'm not going to do that anymore. Don't be deceitful. I trust in the Lord. But David knew there were consequences to what he had, had brought to Ahimelech. He knew that his being with Ahimelech led to something bad for Ahimelech. And he says so. I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. It's my fault. 
Again, the contrast between Saul and David. Saul speaking lies. David, even when it doesn't make him look like a hero, admits this is because of me. Verse 23, he tells the son of the priest, stay with me. Don't be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. It doesn't, again, as a, as a new covenant believer, you hear Jesus saying, they hated me, they're going to hate you. David says, he's after me, he's after you. But David tells him, that shouldn't cause fear. Don't be afraid of that. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. Certain confidence that David has there. Certain confidence in the way that he can protect this man, Abiathar. Did Abiathar remain protected by David? Yes, he did. You read the rest of history of Abiathar's life. He became the, main, the chief priest to David throughout most of David's life. Zadok would come later, but Abiathar served David faithfully for a number of years. He was protected by David. He lived. You had Doeg the Edomite, you had Saul coming after him, but David protected this man. He protected the one that God was protecting. David protects. Again, we can't help thinking of Christ here, who protects his people. David is simply the shadow of who is to come, the perfect protector, capital P. I think it's good as we read this to remind ourselves of the protection that we have in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we sin, we go weeks, and we have these low points spiritually, and we think things like, how could God continue to love me? Look what I've done. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son. I believe in what He's done for me, but I still sin. And, and, and there's this fear that we have, will I really make it to heaven? Jesus offers protection. Those who trust in Him are given protection from the wrath of God. They become children of God. We're protected by God. We're kept by God. New Testament word, kept, guarded, preserved by God. I want to give you one illustration of this that's so, so beautiful. John 17, Jesus is about to die. He's, he's talking as if he's, he's done on the earth. It's the night before he's going to die, and he's praying. I mean, there's literally a chapter in the Bible where we hear Jesus the Son, God the Son, praying to God the Father. It's amazing that we have John chapter 17. It's amazing. What does Jesus pray in a time of great trouble and hardship, Jesus is concerned for his followers. What is, what's he going to pray for them? Listen to what he prays. He's saying this to the Father. While I was with them, so I'm about to leave, I'm about to die, then ascend to heaven. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. Jesus saying to the Father, ever since I, I brought them to myself three years ago, ever since I was with these disciples, I've kept them, protected them, preserved them. I've kept them in your name. You are a protector. I'm a protector. I've kept them. I've kept them in your name, which you've given me. God the Father gave the followers of Christ to Christ. That's the picture here. So imagine a father giving a treasured possession, his people, 
to the Son to protect and guard. So Jesus is saying, while I was here with them, I kept them in your name which you've given me. I have guarded them. Like a, that, that's shepherding language. Like a, like a shepherd guards sheep. I have guarded them, protected them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, so that the Scripture may be fulfilled, Judas. Then Jesus says this to the Father, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So Jesus isn't saying, Lord, take them out right now. And Jesus knows what that means. They're going to suffer. They're going to suffer. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Three times in just those four verses, I've kept them, I've guarded them, you keep them, Father. Friend, I want you, I want this church to get used to loving how God talks about himself in the scriptures. He reveals himself as Trinity. He reveals himself as Father, Son, Spirit. That makes his love come alive all the more for us. If I said to you, uh, does, do you know that God is a protector? Yes. But when you see it the way the Bible lays it out, a father saying, son, these people, I've chosen these. These are precious. You, son, you die for them. You protect them. You keep them. Hands them to the son. The son takes these people of which the disciples are one, you and I are one. The Son takes these people, and as He's going to ascend into heaven, He says to the Father, Father, I've kept them, you guard them. The Father and the Son carefully protecting this treasure of theirs. And you think that your bad week of sin can keep you out of heaven? No, no, He'll protect, He's a Father. He'll discipline, he'll teach you, he'll protect you. Son died for you. You're pretty secure. The Father gave you to the Son. You're secure. The Son, before he ascended back to heaven, said, Father, you guard them while I'm in heaven. The Father's going to guard them. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that no one can snatch them out of my hand than, than just just right around those verses, he says, and no one will snatch them out of the Father's hand. It's one thing to say that God's a protector, but see it in the Trinitarian way the Bible gives it to you, and it comes alive. The Father giving you to the Son, the Son saying, I've done the work, Father, you give them. And then listen, bonus. Do you know how God determines to guard us while Jesus is in heaven? He sends God the Spirit to comfort us and to secure us and to guide us into eternity. God the Father guarding. God the Son guarding. God the Spirit guarding. What an amazing God that we serve. This is what I want our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine to know. Remember the love and protection of God. God the Father guarding. God the Son guarding. God the Spirit guarding. George Newton He's a man that wrote a whole book 
on John 17. It's wonderful. George Newton wanted the reader to know this does not mean that God doesn't allow people to be persecuted and even martyred. It doesn't mean that God's people won't be sick and die. Don't think that God somehow failed to guard you because those things have happened. Listen to what Newton says. They may be persecuted, but they cannot be forsaken totally. And finally, may be persecuted, but you will not be forsaken by God totally and finally. They may be cast down, but they cannot be destroyed as saints. Any of you cast down this morning? Concerned, overwhelmed? If you are in Christ, you may be cast down. You will not be destroyed. You're a saint. They may sin exceedingly, but they can never sin unto death. You may sin. You hate your sin. I can't believe I'm doing this. Lord, forgive me. You will not sin to the point where he says, you know what? You're right. I'm done. If his son died for you, how will he not then with his son give you all things? Romans chapter 8. So I think this is a great day to not just remember your protection that you've been given by the Father, by the Son, by the Spirit. It's a great day to pray that prayer for suffering Christians all around the world. Lord, remind them of your protection of them. Remind them of their security in you. God's enemies hate Him, and God's enemies hate His followers. But God protects His followers, doesn't He? God secures His people. What a God we serve even in a horrific age. Even in a terrible time, we serve a great God. In a moment, um, we're gonna, I'm going to pray like I do at the end of sermon, ask the Lord to bring these truths home into our hearts. And then we've got a couple of video clips of some Ukrainian believers singing to God just from this last week. And uh, the second song, the second clip is a group of believers singing in a house, He Will Hold Me Fast. So I thought I'd read those lyrics, some of those lyrics from the song, and then after I pray, we'll have the ushers pass the offering, and while the offering's being passed, we'll watch those videos, and then we'll sing together, He Will Hold Me Fast. And I'm going to ask you to sing it to your heart. Remind yourself that the Lord will keep you. Remind God of His keeping love. Sing it to Him. And sing it in solidarity with brothers and sisters suffering around the world, praying for them, that they would remember the God who keeps them. Some of the lyrics, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight, Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Let's pray together. Father, we have, as you know, enemies all around. 
Our flesh wars against us. The world and its values seek to grab a hold of us. Others war against your people. So, Father, we understand what it's like to have enemies. They're not enemies because we determine that they're enemies. They have determined that they are enemies of your people. So, Father, would you keep us faithful, persevering, remembering that we are on the side of the living God, the living God who keeps his people, the living God who slew Goliath, the living God who protected Jesus, the living God who protected his people Israel, the living God who protects remnants, the living God who in the book of Revelation says that the one who trusts, he will give reward to. Help us to trust the living God. And we do. We, as a church, wrap our arms around people in Ukraine, specifically even right now we think of believers in Ukraine. We together ask that you would preserve them, keep them. If some of them would die as martyrs, we pray that you would keep them faithful to the end and bring them home. But we also ask you for minimal casualties. We pray for an end to this. And again, like I prayed earlier, Father, together as one church, we are praying, Lord Jesus Christ, come and make things right. We pray this in your name. Amen.